as uh, the opportunity to rejoice with families and uh, with parents when a baby is born. And so I've always used in the old days, I, when we were one service, I'd, I'd, when the baby had first come, I would take it and bring it up front and introduce the baby. Some of you guys that are all grown up now, I introduced you. Some that are now graduating and graduated, I introduced. In fact, the first baby I introduced has her own babies. Uh, that's where we are in this step of the world. But I want you to look at this little picture and see if you can figure this one out. Who is this? No, well, yeah. I'm glad you recognized me when I was young, Soph. Yes, there's no gray. There's a little, that will give you a hint. There are less gray hairs than the preacher, and he's skinnier. Anybody want to guess? No? I'll tell you who it is. I, I won't t- I'll give you some hints. This is a girl, which is hard to tell when you see that kind of picture. Um, let's see, what else can I tell you? She got to introduce her sister to you. No guesses yet? She's going to first grade. You knew. Oh. And the next woman, she's our, one of our second service kids that comes, and she greets everybody. Yes, that is Wendy Hurst. Do you see that? Does that look like Wendy Millie? One of your great-grandbabies, dear. <laughs> and, you know, the joy of having to do that, of course, I pulled that picture. I think I got off Facebook. It was one of those memories that came up. And I remembered that, the, the joy of the firstborn child in a family, the, the passion and the excitement that those things bring. And we get proud and we laugh and we have a great time as, as parents here. Can you imagine what happens when you and I come to a relationship with God and we become a child of God and we're born into his kingdom? How excited God and the angels and all that are celebrating must be for us. It's like a newborn baby. And that's what John talks about here. In, in, the fir- in the third chapter of 1 John, and so when you think about the joy uh, it is to look in the face of a newborn with all the innocence and think what wondrous possibilities exist for that new life, it's the same thing uh, when we see a baby's face, we see the touch of God in their life and all the wonderful possibilities, it's the same thing God sees in us and people see in us when we come to know Christ. Last week we saw the phrase, born in Him, indicating that unique relationship we as Christians enjoy as children of God, through His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, uh, all of us, uh, the Father, God the Father longs for all of us to become His children when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Because God has shown us such great love, we should respond with love for Him. And so here's the question to ponder today. Are you the Christian God would have you be? If you're a Christian today, if you're not, are you the one, is this the day you need to become a Christian? A Christ follower. In the text today, we're going to see characteristics of the children of God. And, uh, you know, I like comic strips probably because I, I read as a dyslexic. I read pictures a lot more than I read words. I can read lots of things. And I know you're not going to be able to see this, but one of the comic strips that I used to read a long time ago that is called Theophilus, and it's a Christian comic strip. Uh, and you won't really be able to read it, but I'm going to tell you what it says because I think it's really apropos to what I'm trying to get us to understand this morning. And here it is in this comic strip. It's a, a small child's gazed into his father's eyes and asked this question. Dad, what is a Christian? And here's what his father replied. A Christian is one who receives Jesus and obeys him. He loves his friends and his neighbor, even his enemies. He prays often. He's the kind, gentle, holy, 
and more interested in going to heaven than earthly riches kind of guy. That son is a Christian. The little boy reflectively thinks for a moment, and then he asks this question right here. Have I ever seen one? Oh, there's two, punch the slide twice there, Bubba. I didn't see it. There's two, I don't think it came up. Anyway, that should have come up for you. Probably my fault on that one. Have I ever seen one? And I read that and I thought, you know, it's kind of funny, but it has a lot to say. The father gives a fairly good answer to his son, and he emphasized the love of God and our love for others. Uh, he stresses the contact with the father, the fruit of the spirit, the growth in one's life. Not bad. But can you imagine the image of the father's bewilderment when he's done all these things and his son says, have I ever seen one? It is easy to talk a good talk. One of the neat things about next week is one of the bad things about next week. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Kids will be unplugged from their phones. Oh, no. Still got to go to camp. Sorry. Um, they will be in a Christian environment. That doesn't mean things won't happen and people won't get mad and sin won't occur, because it does. But for the most part, it is everything is just like a mountaintop. That's the good and bad. Because God can speak to us at times like that, and many have come to know Christ at, at church camps because they're able to concentrate in here and block out the rest of the world, and because of people praying around, and it happens. And then they can hear the talk. But what happens when we leave the mountaintops and we walk the walk? I think that was the question the little boy was asking. Are others able to tell that we are a Christian? We may profess to be one but do we show the world we are one? That's what John is saying to us here in these three, three verses we're going to look at. So if someone came to you and asked for a description of a Christian, would you tell them? And can you show them by your life? So consider these ideas we find in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. First, that we are what we are. For the world's fame and glory may be glamorous and exciting, and it's shallow and fleeting, by the way. The world gives us today what it gives us today, it takes away tomorrow. But God gives us something permanent, something authentic, something that is life-changing, something that is eternal, and it's the love of God when we choose Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Listen to verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Those that have been born of God are now called the children of God. Righteousness begins by faith and ends in love. It's by faith we take Jesus. It's by God's mercy. It's our trust and our faith in Him. But it's all about His love for us. That's the reason we are told, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. In the Greek, that word see has a sense of to see with an awakened understanding. To, uh, to understand, we, we are to sense, to see, to marvel at the great love God has given to us. It's kind of like playing t-ball and baseball for the first time, or getting the first hit. Um, we've had the opportunity to watch grandkids play this year, so you know, do the old take your lawn chair to go to Hopkins and sweat for three games, come back over here for an hour, drive two hours to spend an hour in the mud, and, you know, 
I want something to drink. You guys are all doing it. It's been a long time since we've done that. I thought, those days are coming back. So they will come back for you too. But do you remember the first time a kid gets a hit that's never gotten a hit? I got to see some of that in some of the other kids this year. And, and they just stand. Run, run. And everybody's hollering, run. And then you watch the next level or two play when the kids start pitching. And then you go watch a high school game. And it gets very intense, and it's great. And then you, maybe you get to watch the Royals. They play. I think the Royals play baseball, right? First Cardinal fans, maybe. Now you watch the Royals. You watch the Cardinals. You watch Northwest plays. I mean, you watch women's softball. We watch a, an upper level, and 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 it's just amazing what they can do. But that same joy and that same bewilderment and excitement. You see it sometimes at the college level, World Series. You will see it at the Omaha stuff coming up. But think about what you see the first time a kid gets a hit off a tee or, or better yet, when they get off the pitcher, when they've moved up to where the coach pitches and they actually hit a, a baseball being thrown at them. When we see those kinds of things, the joy and all that excitement, they have an awakened understanding of what it means to play the game. They have a different understanding of baseball than the ones, well, some of them still do. They play in the dirt, outfield. Pay attention to the ball. Here's a ball. What do I do? It hit me. We had that happen the other night, and I thought it was pretty funny. I thought, perfect illustration. We do that sometimes. We're just kind of goofing around, not paying attention, and zap. That's what the word see here is when, when John says, see, you have a different understanding when you know Christ is your Lord and Savior. So you have a different understanding about what? Well, it's about the love. See the love, see what kind of love the Father has given us. He wants us to know there is something special about this. There is something unique about this. There is something that is life-changing about this. That, and the Greek word here is the agape word, the agape form of love. It's that, that self-sacrificing, signifying the divine, the highest form of love. God literally has given us an out-of-the-world experience with his kind of love. The whole amazing plan of salvation that began with God and his love for us is so great, we get to call him Father, literally Daddy, Abba, Papa. Because literally what if we translate it in better English, I know our Bibles use the word Father and some of those things. But in the vernacular of the people, they would have understood it as an endearment term of Papa, Daddy, Grandpa, whatever you're called. Those, those things your kids call you, your grandkids call you. When we receive from Christ a new nature, we're called the children of God. And we can't expect the world to understand the thrilling relationship because it does not even understand God. That's what he says. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. They can't relate to it. And Maybe you're here today and you think, you know, I see the joy in people when they, they get baptized or they, they take the Lord's Supper or they come and they accept Christ. I wish I had that. I, I, I don't, I can see it, but I don't get it. You don't get it and don't see it because you haven't experienced it. Trust him and experience him. We've been, on the other side of that, we've become so accustomed to expecting God's love, at times it no longer seems to, we no longer seem to stand in awe. Sometimes I think we actually take it for granted I think some even think that it's something that God owes us as we grow older. My prayers, let us always have 
that joy of God's love like a kid hitting a ball the first time off a pitcher. That's what we should have. Maybe you're old enough to remember the daisy petal test, love test. Some of you might remember that. Girls would sit in a circle and grab a flower and name a boy's name, and they'd pull off a petal says, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. And depending on if they were smart enough to count and they wanted to come up, he loves me, if they, they would pull two petals off, you know. I don't mean guys that played that game. Maybe they do. I don't, we didn't. The girls always sat there and they'd holler a guy's name, and you'd kind of listen to see what girl was calling it off, you know. That's how it worked in the old days. It's kind of like the little girl that ran into her mom's house and crying. And mom said, what's wrong? And throwing herself into her mother's arms, she was sobbing, God doesn't love me anymore. And he says, well, honey, he certainly does. The mother said, he, he does. She says, no, he doesn't. The little girl cries out because I did the daisy petal trust. Gosh, folks, there's better ways to find out about true love than pulling petals off a daisy. The way to know that God loves us is to remember what Romans 5, 8 says. But God shows his love for us. In while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God takes you the way you are. Just like you are, wherever you are, how much ever you could understand about him. That's why a child can come to accept the love of Christ. You know, I've had the privilege of leading kids as four or five years old, I think, probably youngest I can think of that really understood I, yeah I love Jesus I want to go to heaven those kind of things but I mean really had kind of a connection and it took because all their life has been the same way to a person over 100 years old to lead them to know the Lord on the deathbed and all I could think about was the wasted years of nearly a century and the opportunity of the five-year-old to the wasted years don't wait we never know what tomorrow holds we can be confident of God's unfailing love because he has proven it beyond all question when he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. We've been born into the family of God, and as his children, we are recipients of the Father's love. What an amazing love has made us the children of the King, we, what we are. But secondly, I want us to know what will be will be. Look at verse 2. Now, if I say, K sera, sera, you'll be singing the song since Doris Day passed away this year. Whatever will be, will be. Well, with God, there's no question. He knows the future. He knows what it will be. And John says, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, speaking of Christ, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. Now, this is a reference of of the time of Christ coming back for his church. He, he's spoken to us as children of God. John now speaks to us about our future destiny. You know, when I showed the picture of, of Wendy earlier, did anybody think that she would be the quiet, sweet little girl she is? Talk, 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 talk. You ever see her first, second service? Hi, I'm Wendy. Psh, this is my sister, Joe. I'm going to first grade. I got out. She's so excited, and she prays for people. You know, you, you look at little kids and those babies and you think, what will be, what will they do? What will they turn out like? The opportunities in this world are within the reach of all who trust Christ. The glories in the world come, our world to come are still masked in mystery. Notice that God expects future development. If we expected a baby to stay a baby, it wouldn't be natural, right? We expect a baby to grow up. They grow up way too fast. 
Some of you are sending your kids off for the first time to camp. Some of you are sending them off like, whew. Some of them are going to youth camp for the first time. Wow. And then you think, oh my gosh, it won't be long before they graduate. And it won't be long before there are no kids in the house. And oh, when the grandkids come, those of us, and I, I think there's some I saw that were first-time grandparents on Facebook in the last couple weeks. Uh, it's pretty funny because I can remember, just like any of us that were there the first time you became a grandparent, something happens in your brain, a switch flips. And you realize why well, you didn't eat your own children, right? I mean, that kind of thing. And it's like, wow. And then you watch your own kids and you play with the kids at home and then you get to send them home to your children and think, whew, right? You've been blessed with those things. You understand. We don't know what's going to happen. But God does. And just as we expect future development in the child, God expects us and given us the potential as as children of him to grow each and every day. You know, we see people that have so much potential and opportunity, yet they throw their lives away. And we see people that we think, oh, they're in such a situation. They may never amount to anything. And yet they overcome and become something of a brilliant star in the world. You know, I think the same holds true for us as Christians. We are given an opportunity to do some things. And some people take that opportunity and just blow it up as far as it can go, and others take it and squander that opportunity through poor choices and neglect. You see, when you, when you read this, beloved, we are, now, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared. The what there <laughs> suggests a mysterious, something beyond our present comprehension. Um, the appearance of Christ changes the results in us as God's children. The Bible says that when Christ appears, we'll be like him. This is a future fact of being changed into Christ's likeness. You know, Paul says in Corinthians 13, though now I see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. To know, to have that perceptive knowledge that brings one to the point of understanding and then it changes to conviction. That's what he's speaking of here. We are God's children. and What has not yet appeared, but we know we have that conviction that when he appears, we're going to be like him. The journey will be there. It will be over. It will be done. You know, it, it's kind of like a, a poem I read. Actually, I was looking for a poem for something else. And I, and I caught a thing from Amy Carmichael. She was a missionary to India for over 50-plus years. She never took a furlough. She, she stayed there and died there. And uh, it's an interesting life. And she wrote some great poems and great stories. And from her book, God by Moonlight, she described the Atlas Moth. I want you to look at this picture here. Here's the Atlas Moth. Now, it's emerging from its cocoon in the mountain forest of India. Here's what she writes about it. It hangs from a twig in a small brown bag. I don't know if you can see that very well. It is ugly. I mean, it is. It looks like a piece of dirt with strings. If you get a close-up look at it. And however often we see it, we are never prepared for the miracle that emerges, she writes. For it has wings of crimson and pink, blended it with greens of various soft tones, shading off to a terracotta brown or old gold. Each wing has a window made of clear substance like a delicate flayed of talc, and on the edge is a pattern of wavy lines or dots. And she goes on to describe all this cool stuff about it. Now, the Atlas Moth was one of the largest moths in the world. At the time, they thought it was the largest. There's one larger now. But um, 
it's not a butterfly. There's some differences for you guys that want to learn those things. Uh, and we think of moths being the ones that aggravate us when the lights come on and around at night. But from wingtip to wingtip, they're nine or ten inches across. One of God's beautiful wonders, she says. This is what comes out of that brown paper bag. Who would think that such an exquisite beauty could come from a drab doll cocoon is the question she writes at the end. And it got me to thinking, for Christians, a much greater miracle awaits. For we're encased in these bodies of humiliation that we wear each day, these physical tents that are wearing out, drab as they are, Paul writes the church in Corinthians these words, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last at the last trumpet, for the trump will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For now we live in that little old brown bag in these earthly bodies, but not forever. For one day we will be made perfect and complete. Yes, we shall see our favorite, Savior face to face, and wonders of wonders, the Bible says we will be like Him. God loves us for, and does not stop when He saves us. He loves us all the way through. He continues ministering to us and transforming us into His image until the revelation when Jesus comes. Here's a final thought as we close out. What should be? What should be? John has told us what we are. He told us what will be. And now in verse 3, He's going to tell us what we should be. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Purify meaning to cleanse, cleanness of heart and spirit and thought and word and deed and action. It means we must totally surrender to God. That by his grace we may separate ourselves from all that defiles us. Purity denotes a, a continuous process, by the way, in the words that John wrote. It, it's not something that happens and you're, whoop, I'm done. It's something that is an ongoing situation. It happens again and again and again, and we become much more like Christ each and every day. Grace is what separates itself from all that defiles. It's when we totally surrender and trust God. We are not to judge our purity by lives of other people, but by Christ. People say, well, Glenn, I'd never go to church because I'm not as good as them folk down there. You know, I, I know some of your church folks, but I'm not as bad as some of your folk down there, and I say yeah, you're right. But you don't have to judge yourself by us. We are a hospital for sinners. If you think you're perfect, you're in the wrong church. And I hate to tell you, the only right church that's perfect is the one you don't want to be at until you get there at the end of life. You know? We are not to judge our purity by the lives of others, but by Christ. Christ is our example. Christ is the one who we compare ourselves to. That's the one whose image we need to be conformed to. The grace of God touches the will of the Christian to move and to motivate us to action, to be more like Him each and every day. See, as we read the Scripture carefully and thoughtfully and, and prayerfully consider, we develop a profound appreciation for character and integrity and wisdom and strength in Jesus Christ. The things of the world become dim and, and become less and less tempting to us as we walk our way with Him. The longer we walk with Him, the more we learn about Him. The more we, we are captivated by Him. The more we belong to see Him. Even though now we only see Him through a glass darkly, as Paul says. But you know, I like what I see, even though it's kind of skewed. But even more clearly, one day I will see and understand 
and one day I will be like him. And so will you if you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. All this transformation takes place because of God's love for us. Because the Father loved us, he sent his Son to die for us. We all are the children of God when we accept him. Because God loves us and lives within us, he wants us to live from him from day one. Salvation from start to finish is an expression of the love of God. We are saved by God's grace and we walk with him in love throughout our entire life. You know, as an unbeliever, uh, as one who sins as a creature sinning against the creator, and a Christian who sins as a child sinning against the father. But the unbeliever sins against the law, but the believer sins against God's love. It hurts us just as much when we recognize we've disappointed our heavenly father. You know, one day the trump will sound. One day we will ascend. The time is ready. The time is now. The time may come. Who knows when? Are you ready? When you know Jesus, you know these things. You know what we are, what we will be, and where we should be. What we are, where we will be, and what we should be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for letting us travel down these paths this morning here in uh, the book of John. And as we get ready to share together in this time of communion, this time of Lord's Supper, this time of, of remembrance, Lord, I pray that you would help us to look at ourselves, as the scripture says, to examine ourselves, to consider. As we partake of this bread and as we drink of this cup this morning, Baptized believers, Lord, we just lay our hearts and open and trust to you. And, and Father God, we just thank you for all you've done for us. You remind us of this world's not our home. We're on a journey here. You remind us of the hope that we have of what will come, of the future that will be. In Jesus' name, amen.